1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Do you guys like mysteries? Mysteries? Like unsolved? I, I, I love unsolved mysteries. I don't, I don't know why. My, my poor wife knows whenever we're, you know, just channel surfing and, and there's some show comes on that's something like The Secrets of the Titanic Revealed or uh, something about an island and hidden treasure or like, I gotta stop. I'm in. I just, I, maybe I was just kind of born naturally curious, but I just, like, I love to know things. There's there's very few things that I'm like, ah, I'm not interested in that. I just want to know. But especially when it comes to mysteries. Uh, I want to know, uh, I think we've got a couple of pictures. I can't see them from here. I want to know what happened to the Lindbergh baby, right? That's a huge mystery in the, in the United States. We still really don't know exactly what happened. I want to know. Uh, the the uh, Amelia Earhart, right? She's, she's a, uh, some people think they figured it out. They're, you know, making some developments. I I'm fascinated. I want to know what happened more to her. Or what about, you know, one of the classics, the, the missing colony of Roanoke? You guys know that one, right? I, oh, you need to. You will in, like, middle school. Do you guys remember that picture from your history textbooks, right? That picture is like, anyway, the col missing colony of Roanoke. It's so interesting. What happened to them? I, I need to know those kinds of things. But kind of my all-time mystery, the one that I, if I could just, if I could know one uh, thing, uh, the one that I would want to know the most about is, is the next picture. What is that? The Ark of the Covenant. That's right. The Ark of the Covenant. So just a reminder, right? The Ark of the Covenant, um, some people think it's like the most important artifact in history. I, uh, you know, I guess that depends on your perspective, but uh, you know, this little box was the most prized possession in all of Israel. Um, it, it, it held the, the Ten Commandments and, and some other really important artifacts from Israel that, that was proof of what God had done for them. Um, and so they took it with them everywhere, and, and it was in the middle of all that was sacred to them, in and, and, and the place they called the Holy of Holies. And um, if you know some about the story, you know that in history, somewhere, it disappeared. Okay? Somewhere... It, it disappeared. We, this is just what we think it looks like from the descriptions in the Old Testament of how they were to make it. We don't know what it really looked like. Um, 
it, it, it vanished. And, and, and there's a couple of different theories. Some think that uh, it was just when the temple got destroyed by the Babylonians, it must have still been in there uh, and, and, and crumpled up or, or, you know, melted down. I don't think that happened. I, I don't think the Jews would have left it in, in, in the temple knowing the Babylonians were coming. Some think that the priests buried it far, far under the temple, and then maybe it's still there in, in the temple mount today. I met a guy, right, we've all met a guy, but I met a guy um, who, who claims to know a guy who has seen the ark, and he says, look, the, the Jews found it, they've been, buried, they've been doing all this excavation for decades under the temple mount, and, and they found it, and it's now in safekeeping in a vault, ready for whenever they rebuild the temple. But like, they've got it, it's ready to go. I, I don't know. It's, uh, according to that guy, it's ready to go. They've, they've, it has been found. So, um, there's, there's, a, there's plenty and plenty of theories, but uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you my uh, theory just in case you're curious. So um, I, went to, I went to seminary with a, with a guy. He became a friend of mine. Uh, he was from Ethiopia. And you already, some of you may already know this story, but um, this guy did a project in seminary, and he taught the whole class on, on why the Ark of the Covenant is in, is in Ethiopia, which it used to be Sheba. And remember, Solomon made friends with the Queen of Sheba, and they became allies. And so the story goes that uh, the, the Jews knew that they needed to get the thing out of there before the Babylonians got it, and so they took it to Sheba and hid it. Well, it's, and now it's in modern-day Aksum, Ethiopia, and it's in, there's a building if you ask Ethiopians, it's in that building right there and has been for like 700 years. You can't go in and see. They won't let you take pictures, but they say that it's there. So anyway, so that's, that's my best guess. It may not be even in that building, but I, I think it's probably somewhere in Ethiopia. So uh, there's no visible proof. I'm just giving you my best guess. And, and our passage for this morning also contains a mystery, and I will disappoint you and I'm going to tell you already that I'm going to disappoint you. I cannot solve the mystery. I cannot give you all the answers to the questions that you're going to have uh, from our passage this morning. I'll give you my best guess and how I think we can live in light of some of the questions that, that we'll see from our passage. So let's, let's pray as we begin our study of Habakkuk. Father, I'm reminded in this time that your ways are not our ways and then each of us comes in with burning questions uh, about how you work in our lives. And, and, and there's so much mystery to all of that. Father, would you, would, you, would you give us comfort in knowing who you are? We may never get all the answers that we want. Would you help us uh, to take comfort that you are the almighty God? So guide us in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you can, uh, you can believe it, we are in our 11th week of our 12-week study on the Minor Prophets. And it's been quite a journey, uh, you know, some of the lesser-known books of the Bible. Uh, but we've learned a lot about the character of God. We've learned about His law and how, you know, He made a way through the Messiah uh, to redeem the world, to free the world from sin, and, and that God was up to something bigger than the Jews and the prophets even could see in the way that that the Messiah was going to come for the world. And so uh, Habakkuk was written in the early 600s. Um, 
it's actually the time that many think the Ark of the Covenant goes missing. So maybe Habakkuk knew what happened to it. Uh, we, he didn't tell us. We can't ask him. So we don't know. But um, his, writ- his letter is, is written before the Babylonians dis- uh, destroy Jerusalem, which we know that you've heard it a bunch, bunch of times. happens in 586 B.C. And um, so, but, but it's written in a time when the Jews recognize problems are on the horizon. There's, they're, they're, again, surrounded by bad guys. There's, there's, there's lots of nations that are rising. Uh, the Assyrians are kind of declining, and the, and the Babylonians are, are on the rise. Um, bad, bad times are coming. And, and, and our book this morning, Habakkuk, is unique in that uh, it's, it's not like others. It's actually a dialogue between the prophet Habakkuk and God. They have a back-and-forth conversation, which is, which is pretty unique. And, and um, Habakkuk has deep questions for God, and God will respond. It, if you're familiar with the book of Job, it kind of has a similar feel to it, where, where Job demands answers, and then God responds, and, and they kind of have to work that, work that through. Um, in, in, in chapter 1, the book starts with Habakkuk questioning God, basically asking, God, don't you care about the things that are, are happening? Don't you think, care about the things that are happening to us? And, and, and God's going to respond to his line of questioning, and he basically responds to say, look, I am control, and there's a lot of things that you can't understand. There's a lot of things that you can't understand. And maybe like you, Habakkuk's not satisfied with that answer. <laughs> That's just not a good enough answer. You can't, God, you can't just say, eh, you just won't understand. But he says, you know, God, why are you letting all this happen? These really evil people are doing bad things to your people. Why are you letting this happen? God, I don't understand. And, and it seems like evil is prospering in the world. Why do the bad guys win and the good guys seem to be losing God, can you give me an answer to that? And God's going to respond again. And so that's where we are in our passage for this morning, which is chapter 2, verses, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And and so so Habakkuk is going to kind of get real bold. And if you remember Job, he's like, I'm going to stand here and demand an answer. That's that's what Habakkuk does, too. He says, look, I'm going to go out. I'm going to stand watch and wait for God to give me an answer. God, you better respond. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Verse 2, and the Lord answered me. He says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits at its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. So here it is. This is God's primary response to Habakkuk's complaint. Be patient. I'm going to deal with them. You and all who are righteous live by faith. Live by faith. Now, if you like philosophy and you like deep thinking stuff, uh, you know, scratching your your beard as you contemplate the the questions of the world, this response by God doesn't really uh, scratch your itch, does it? It it doesn't really satisfy satisfy the desire to understand more. 
um, if, if you're curious about this topic, right, why does there evil, why does evil happen, and all that kind of stuff, we can talk later, and I can give you all kinds of resources, and, and you can just kind of bake your noodle on, on philosophy, on, on how can this be possible, and, uh, you know, try to get more clarity on, on, on some of those questions. But, but if you don't mind, I'll, I'll give you a guess that I hope can spare you a few decades of, of reading, because... Um, I, and I say this from personal experience. You will, you will always wind up back at this response by God in Habakkuk. You, you're you're, you're going to have to trust me when I say, like, to trust and to live by faith and not understand is, is going to kind of be the way that it is. And why do I say that? I, I, I think it's because I, I spent a lot of my life wanting the answers to these, these questions. Right? Why, do, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen at all? And, and, and I would just say, uh, you know, to quote a famous movie, you know, in all my years of, of theological research, I've come with two conclusions. The first is there is a God, and two, I'm not him. <laughs> and w- what I mean by that is my understanding is, is limited. My understanding is limited. There's no way for me to understand everything. Don't, don't get me wrong. I've, I've got questions, right? I've got questions. For instance, God, in, in 2011, when the Rangers were one strike away twice, twice, one strike away from winning the World Series, and us Ranger fans have been waiting for so long to see that happen. St. Louis has plenty. They didn't need it. We needed the World Series. Why, God, why could you not have just let that one ball get past and get a, get a strike and end the game? Now, of course, I use that as a lighthearted example, right? It's painful in my house, right? We really, Beth can't believe I'm even mentioning it from up here. We don't talk about it in my house still. We're not over it. It's been, what, 12 years ago, but we're still not over it. Um, but, but you and I do have real questions, right, about family members, about life circumstances, about things that we've had to go through. I, th- there are things that I'm still in the midst of that started 20 years ago, and I can't say, I, God, I know why, you're do, why that happened. I, they're just, they, those exist in my life, and I know they do in yours. I, I wish I could say I had an easy answer to say, oh, it's just this and it's just that. And, and, and it really, there's just not an easy answer to it. There's, there just isn't. And what I think is, is, is easy, interesting is that God doesn't try to explain it either. Several times throughout Scripture, people kind of ask these questions of God, and he never says, well, you know, you're right. You have every right to hear the response of, of why I did this and why this took place in your life. Here it is. He never does that in Scripture. God doesn't tell us why. He, he, he normally says something like, things are bigger than you can understand. Things are bigger than you can understand. It, it usually involves a response like, but I do care. I'm dealing with it, and you've got to trust me and have faith. That so, kind of seems to be the biblical formula for stuff in our life. Now, the, the rest of the book of Habakkuk is really him coming to grips with God's response. 
And, and then he ultimately kind of goes through, here's what I remember about what God has done and where I've seen his hand at work. And he kind of starts to turn and he recognizes the response and he turns it into a response of, of praise and thanksgiving and faith. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a fascinating book. Um, but it focuses on God and his character. Um, you know, this week around here we did vacation Bible school and, I, and, and our theme was about Babylon, as you can see here, uh, Daniel's courage in captivity. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should preach on Daniel and do like a VBS sermon. But it came to me, I kind of recognized as, as I was thinking through Habakkuk, th- there's similar questions, there's similar themes happening here, right? The, uh, if, you, if you remember the story of Babylon, the Jews are taken over by this bigger uh, bully Babylon. They get taken away from their homes, and, and they're taken prisoner, and they're forced to serve in Babylon. And so here they are pulled from their homes and everything that they knew, and, and God's people are struggling with, how do we live faithfully in this place that looks nothing like it should, where, where, where bad people are in charge? What are we supposed to be doing? And Daniel asked that question every day. And, and, and on top of all that, right, they realized they had been taken from their homes, and, and, and the question was, God, are you going to be faithful? Are we ever going to get to go back? Are we ever going to get to go to our homes again? And, and so that's, that's what our kids were dealing with and looking at in, in VBS this week. And we talked a lot about courage in, in hard times, and we talked about integrity when, when the world is doing things different than what God wants us to be doing, and how do we stand up to those things. But above all, we talked about God being with us, that God was with us. And so I, I, I made just a little slide uh, to kind of show the big, the- I forgot that I wouldn't be able to see them, uh, so I'm going to have to cheat here. Uh, <laughs> These are the big five themes, and so if you can't see from where you are, the first one was, when things change, God is with you. And that verse was Hebrews 13, 5. And the second day, when you, oh, that's supposed to say when you need help, my typo. Uh, when you need help, God is with you, from Psalm 46, 1. The third day, we talked about when you're afraid, God is with you. You're picking up the pattern here, from Isaiah 41, 10. Fourth day, when you're lonely, God is with you, Matthew 28, 20. And then the fifth day, when you're thankful, God is with you. First Chronicles 16, 34. And so we, we, we focused on this idea that God has promised to be with us. And so that's what your kids learned this week. And I just have to say, as a, as a pastor and as an adult being a part of VBS, I love VBS curriculum because, you know, we are teaching it to these kids. And all of us, I think, probably throughout the week looked at it and went, you know what, if I could just remember these five things, like, my life would be pretty, a whole lot better than it is. My life would be a whole lot better than it is. My faith would be a whole lot stronger. If I could remember the five things that we're teaching our, you know, preschool kids, if I could just, you know, live these out, man, how much different would my life look? Think about, think about it. If you knew those five things all the time, you didn't doubt them, and you lived them out, boy, would our lives look different, Right? And so I, I, I just have to say, I, I hope that our kids are getting a head start in this and hearing them sing about it, hearing them pray for their friends and pray for their families and, and the recognizing some of these lessons. If they can keep that going, they're off to a great start. And I love that because they're going to need those lessons, right? We are raising them in a world that's hard. We're raising them in a world where everyday bad things happen. 
we're, we're raising them in a broken, fallen world. And so I'm so glad that these five themes are true. I'm glad that we see them taught in multiple places throughout Scripture. And so if those things are true, then, then how can we respond? Right? What is our response? It's faith. It boils down to all of those. If they're true, then our response can be courage. It can be trust. It can be faith. Courage in the face of difficult things. And, and, and the lessons from Daniel and the lessons from Habakkuk are basically saying the same things. And, and if you want to get even bigger, right, we can just say really all of Scripture is. If you go all the way back to Abraham, what was the lesson of Abraham? To trust God in a big promise when things seemed like it were going to be impossible? When things got hard, do you still trust the promise? Right, we can fast forward to, to the Israelites who were in Egypt, and Moses promised that he was going to lead them. Do they trust God through the wilderness or not? Did Moses trust that God was in control? How about David, right, running around for his life? God, are you really going to take care of me, or are you going to let me die out here? Are, 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 you, are you really going to have me be the king? You said yeah, I was going to be, right? And, and we, we kind of talked about Daniel. Uh, our, our kids learned about his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They were asked to, to have faith in God when they didn't understand, when they couldn't see what was going to happen. Fast forward into the New Testament, right? And we see over and over again, there's this, there's this call to live by faith, to trust in what God can do through our Savior and not in ourselves. And so, so earlier, we read 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, and, and it's a, a passage where Peter is writing to believers. And, and he's writing to believers who are going through some terrible stuff. And they're asking Peter, the pastor, a couple of questions like, God, are, why is God letting this stuff happen to us? Peter, why, are, is this what's supposed to be going on? Should we give up? Should we quit? Is, is, it, is Jesus ever coming back? What's going on here? Doesn't God love us? These are the questions that Peter is responding to in the letter of 1 Peter. And so I just want to look at it real quickly. Um, he says, blessed be the God of our, and Father uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to great, his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, and with God's powers being guarded. So meaning, our relationship with Him isn't affected by all the bad stuff, and God is protecting it. God is protecting our relationship with Him. He's protecting our inheritance, which means eternity, right? And, and He says, In this you rejoice, though for now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. And you know what he means by that. You've lived in your life long enough where you you've been, feel like you've been tested by fire. And it, it, it's the hardest thing, right? And he says all of, all of this is going to be revealed at the time that is right when Jesus comes. And it says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. And though now you don't see him, you believe and you can rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a big picture in mind, right? It doesn't, hopefully that makes that better for what we're enduring and knowing we're doing this for a reason. We're doing this for a purpose. And it is something that is guarded and entrusted by Christ, right? Our eternity, our souls, our faith, 
we've got to go through these trials. We we are living in this life until God comes and makes all of this right again. He even says we can have joy. And and we're going to talk about joy in just a couple of weeks. We've got one more week of minor prophets. And then we're going to start talking about some joy. Because we've been in kind of maybe the the sad minor prophets. We're going to talk about joy. Is there joy to be had in life or not? So that's what's coming next. So so we're almost done with the minor prophets. And then we're going to talk about joy. How do we live like that? But Peter here is saying, guys, stay faithful. Your lives are in the hands of Jesus, and he is working in ways that you can't understand. I know it's hard. I know it's unbearable at times, but hang in there. We know the outcome. The outcome is secure in the hands of Jesus. He has won our eternity and our salvation. He's got it guaranteed. God wins. We know the end of the story. God wins, and so do his people through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, we're called to live in faith. So let me just kind of go back to this deep philosophy stuff for a minute. Because I wrestled with all of this as a kid, and I wanted all kinds of answers. I wanted to be able to understand. And, and passages like this one helped me recognize that there is an answer. That there is an answer in Scripture to Habakkuk's question. And I'll just say, that answer comes at the cross. Because let me just say, there, there's a lot of philosophies out there. There's a lot of religions, and there's, there's a lot of ideas and theories. And, and all of them have to give an answer to the same questions that we're talking about, to Habakkuk's. Why is there bad stuff? Why is there evil? They all do. But I, I can just tell you, after I've studied a lot of them, and, and they don't have an answer. They just don't. At least not a good one or a rational one. I'm convinced that Christianity's answer is the only one that brings any sense to it and any hope. Um, Because I think the cross tells us uh, several things. First, let me tell you what the cross says in in answer to these questions. It it, it says that God cared enough about our suffering to do something about it. He's not a a deist kind of God that he's unconcerned with the world. He cared so much that the cross tells us that. He cares about our suffering. And he decided to do something about it. The second thing, it it shows that God knew we couldn't fix these things on our own, and he stepped in to bring the solution. We couldn't take care of this on our own. He fixed it for us. The third thing it tells us is that not even death is the final answer. The love of God is. The love of God is the final answer, not death. And, and, And so even if and when death takes us, it doesn't separate us from the, the hope. It doesn't separate us from the final answer because Jesus conquered death. Okay, fourth, it tells us that God can take even the most awful, evil, terrible thing that has ever happened, which is the death of the innocent Son of God. And He can, he can turn that into the greatest thing that ever happened. So when terrible things are happening in my life, I, I, I can remember those four things. I can remember that God is greater than all of this. And he's greater than I can under, what I can understand. And he's able to do something better than I could ever imagine with him. And I know. I, I, I know that we've all got terrible stuff that we go, but, but I, still don't, I don't, still don't get it. And I would say, I, I, yeah, right. Me too. We won't. 
I don't think that's the promise. I don't think the promise in Scripture is ever that we understand or that we'll see the end to go, oh, now it makes so much sense. I, I don't think that happens. But we do get answers in the cross that says that God cares and that he's got a bigger, a bigger solution than anything this world could ever offer us. And so no other philosophy, worldview, religion has an answer as great as the cross. And I think that's where Scripture gives us hope. And you, can, I, you and I can talk on and on uh, about all of this kind of these questions, but I think the cross is the ultimate answer. See, Habakkuk is watching his friends die. He's watching his kingdom be torn down. He's watching everything that he knows and loves be stole from him by evil people. And he's going, God, I don't get this. The, the, you can't give me an explanation. And God says, yep, you're right. You wouldn't understand it if I told you. But he started to understand that God still cares, that God is still in control. And then we see this great response in, in, in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. And so if you want like a verse to kind of cling to uh, at a, at this minor prophet, I would give you 3, 17 through 19. And it's the very end of the book. And he says this, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the pro." The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Because that's the ultimate answer. It says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And so the decision is up to us in light of all of this. What are we going to do with this? In a world where bad things happen... And I'm, remi- I'm reminded in the New Testament that Jesus told his best friends, hey, you're all going to suffer. And in fact, he says, you're all going to die for me, and that's exactly what happened. If ele- Jesus' 11 best friends died, then I don't know that there's any promise of our security either. Other than there's a big answer at the end that God has, and he's, he's held it for us in Jesus. This is more than just being negative and gritting our teeth and, and just bearing it. Our life is more than just about circumstances that we are living in. And Habakkuk and others would say it's, it's about rejoicing and worshiping because of the good news of Jesus. Because the answer at the cross, that we are living in a world where we have a Savior who loves us. So Scripture says the response is this, to trust in the promise that His love never fails, that His presence never leaves us, that He is working things out for our good when that seems impossible, and that we, where we are, we have a promised eternal life with him no matter what because of his redeeming love through the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we don't understand and we can't understand. But you have the answer in the cross. You loved us so much you didn't leave us to our own and you could have. You're bigger You're bigger than the things of this world. Not even death has the final answer now because of Jesus. You can work all things out to good, and even when that seems impossible, in ways that maybe we'll never get to see. God, would you help us? Would you help us have faith when it doesn't make sense? Would you help us have faith when everything in in us screams the opposite, screaming to give up, screaming that, The bad guys are too big. We don't know what to do. 
that you give us hope because of your son, Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.